0: hello everyone and thank you for listening to this episode of the refold podcast where we talk about everything related to language learning my name is clayton also known as george pig and i manage the community here at refold today our guest is isaac a heritage speaker of japanese join us as we discuss learning a heritage language and what it's like being half japanese all right hey isaac it is good to have you on finally i think we were gonna have you on uh in like season two maybe and then we had to have a change of plans but yeah, we finally got you here
1: yeah it's nice to be here actually nice to be in this whole podcasting and like have like the background and you know be and talk to all the people that i've been listening to for a while
0: oh thank you uh and isaac do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and your background
1: uh sure um hi my name is isaac um uh and in terms of like my background uh, i am uh, half japanese and also half uh, white so um I learned Japanese not as a, not not as a, I guess the whole point is that I would be a, some people would think I'm a heritage language, heritage language learner, because I, I'm learning the language of my family, but it's actually more closer to, you know, your average person doing Refold because like I did more, I did something closer to like how a person learning a completely new second language would, since I didn't actually grow up speaking Japanese. So, uh, so I guess that's a sort of an interesting thing, since I I learned it from the beginning starting from you know with akiragon like, and all of that so
0: yeah right so you're a heritage language speaker but you're on, on it's on a spectrum right mm. from being like kind of conversational in it to not speaking it at all and yeah. you're closer to having not spoken it at all
1: yeah like i'd say like up until the the middle of middle school i can only count from one to ten and say like really really basic stuff like konnichiwa like that was a that was the extent of my Japanese. So yeah.
0: So, uh, what's your first memory of Japanese? Your your father's Japanese, right?
1: Uh, yes. Um, okay. My first and what's your first
0: memory of the language? Like when do you first remembering? Hey, Dad speaks something different than Mom.
1: Hmm. Uh, I actually remember. So it was during elementary school, and uh, there was a it was another there was another half Japanese person who who went to, who I was in the same class with, and like we were walking to, we were walking to school together. And I remember my dad uh, switching over to Japanese to talk to my friend's mother. And I was like, oh wow, this is a really cool language. Like this is not English, this is really cool. So just, <laughs> and, I, and I guess that's when I first started, I guess my, that's my first uh, like solid memory of like actually recognizing Japanese as a second, as a different language and a language that, that my dad speaks and a language that I don't. Since also uh, my friend, my half Japanese friend could actually speak the language, but I couldn't. So I was just like, sounds, this is really cool. <laughs>
0: All right, and it's really common in some places for um, heritage speakers to be enrolled in like Sunday classes or something, weekend classes for the language. Was that ever you? Did your dad or your mom ever enroll you?
1: Uh, no. So, um, essentially, uh, uh, because of a, a couple of things, when I was like a, when I was like a baby, baby, like I, I, it, it took me a little bit longer than your average uh, baby to acquire English. I mean, I'm fine now, but back then it's like because of like ear issues. And because I was having issues at that time, I don't think, I think my dad specifically thought that I want to make sure that he at least gets English good. So I want to, we want to focus on that and not get anything in the way, which of course, I mean, he, I mean, I don't, I do not blame him at all for thinking that way. But, you know, obviously that has the consequence of me not learning to speak it as a native language. So, you know, things that happen the way they happen. So
0: how did you start actually learning Japanese for the first time then? You didn't start in school. You didn't start as a baby. So how old were you? How'd you get into it? What was your routine?
1: Uh, I've had well, the earliest, earliest I could say I started, which I I don't even know if I could say I properly started was probably in fifth grade when my dad bought me a Rosetta Stone. <laughs> and then um and then I did that for a little bit and then I wasn't really consistent. But then when I like, I, I'd say like I actually started was a little bit closer like to the middle or towards the end of middle school. And that's when um, I actually like, I mean, I was actually quite a traditional learner. Like I, like my dad bought me Genki. I did, I did both the Genki one, Genki two, and I did the workbooks. I did, I did every. I think I did two for a bit too, and um, and I, I think I did like the, like the Anki two K. Like the, it's an Anki deck with like the two thousand most common words, and like I was like just doing grinding that for a bit, and then I was doing that, and then I actually went on a trip to Japan, so like for it was around for a week, and then like I tried to like actually talk to people like do things in Japanese and then I realized I literally can't I mean I could say a couple of basic things and I could have very very basic conversations with my family but I kind of was like hit with the reality that I basically couldn't do anything so then I was like huh I should probably do something like I should probably change something up like actually like take this more seriously and and at that point I I knew of Matt but I didn't actually like take his method how would I phrase it like I didn't take his method seriously at first. And then I realized, oh, wait, I think to actually get better at Japanese or any language, you actually have to, you have to actually ex- experience that language in the first place. Otherwise you're just like not do- actually doing anything. So at that point I started doing, oh yeah, I started immersing a lot in YouTube actually. And then um, like I would, ironically enough, I'd actually watch some language learning videos about how Japanese people learned English in Japanese. And because I was like kind of in that niche of YouTube in English originally, and like I was like, it's basically useless for me to watch v- videos of other people learning other languages. So I might as well watch those videos in my target language so I could actually get something out of it. So then um, I did that for a bit. And then I started um, going on to different um, Discord servers for language exchange. And then I, I started speaking with people and with a lot of different people. Uh, I tried to keep it mostly to Japanese people, but of course, you know, you're gonna see like foreigners so i actually talked to a lot of like i talked to a lot of people in japanese both native and foreigners so
0: yeah nothing wrong with that that happens with english learners all the time
1: mm.
0: i mean you know if you think about the refold community um if you, are, are you active in the refold japan the japanese server
1: uh yeah or some i mean i look at it Somewhat. i'm not i'm not i'm not, I'm not oh, you, I the people the there area?
0: are brazilian half the people there are Brazilian and they speak English. So it's normal. Huh. I think there's, there's sort of this stigma around non-native speakers, but I think that's just a little bit of a holdover from the age at times. And it's a little bit odd yeah, right behavior. On. Now, h- how far have you come? So you, you started with Rosetta Stone and Genki, and now you're at the point where I believe you told me that you talk with your dad in Japanese. Like that's your main uh-huh. language with your dad.
1: Oh uh, yeah. So like, um, say yeah, now like, like actually it was really it was a really fun experience being like I, I first wanted to like actually since the the closest native I know is a, you know of course my dad so like I tried I actually remember when I first tried to speak with him Like like the conversation wouldn't last longer than a minute before we switch back to English and now it's like oh we can just keep this going this is really cool and I've, actually what's kind of funny is that uh, uh recently I've noticed that like sometimes he switches to English before I do as in, like, I am mean, not because he's bad at Japanese, but I guess it's because he forgets he's speaking. He forgets he's speaking English, I guess, which is sort of an interesting thing. So, like, I mean, that's kind of a cool thing to do, and it's also really nice that like I can actually talk to my Japanese relatives without him now. So it's like I can have more direct relationships with people, which I think is like pretty cool, and it's like really like it's like there's an there's a reason for me learning this language, and it's and it feels it feels quite nice.
0: Speaking of your Japanese relatives, what is their reaction? Did, are they like happy with your level, or do they feel like it should be higher? Do they often make assumptions about your level?
1: Um, I only have like uh, my in terms of Japanese relatives. I I don't actually have that many, but the one that, like the for the couple they do, I, they had basically zero expectations for me to speak Japanese. So even when I went there like back in what was it early 2018, I think, um, the fact that I even knew a couple of words and a couple of basic phrases, they were like. Oh my god, that's amazing! What I mean, it's kind of a thing, but uh, and and I, they were like, you got Nihongo
0: by your own family.
1: Yes, <laughs> and um, I oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely a thing. But um, and so they were like really supportive, of just like any Japanese that I studied. So I mean, I'm really grateful for that. But of course, like, I mean, it's one thing when they say like, ah, oh, yeah, like, I, like you're making a lot of progress. But then of course, like, if you're, if they say that until, I mean, they say that every time but then of course they say that even if you're not exactly that, that great so um it's mm-hmm. very I mean definitely sort of motivating. Me. yeah it's a motive like I think definitely when people when when Japanese people say it, they're not being cynical like at all like they usually like they just have I mean, low
0: expectations
1: low expectations and also like um it's it also could just be like a way to start a conversation because if you look for and and you're speaking Japanese there's probably an interesting story behind that so yeah yeah
0: so do Japanese people when you're in Japan recognize that you're, you're half Japanese or are you more white passing in Japan?
1: Uh, last, well, it, it's been a while since I've been in Japan. And um, interestingly enough, like, I mean, I don't think like, like my face or like my physical looks are, are what gives me away. But um, one, a couple of interesting things that i I never really thought about is actually my clothes. Like, because the way they dress in Japan is quite different. I mean, you're like, you know, your average young person dresses quite differently than your average young person in America. So like, I come in with like my American clothes because, you know, I live in America. I grew up with this. This is comfortable for me. And I think people could kind of like read my aura. I guess that like, I probably wasn't exactly Japanese, but at least that was the last time I went there to Japan. The last time I went to Japan.
0: Interesting. So they kind of tell based on like how you carry yourself and other, how you dress a little bit. Okay, I can definitely see it because, like, my stereotype of an American boomer mm. is, you know, like, um, too tight t-shirt, really washed-out blue jeans, uh, <laughs> and white, white, white sneakers from Walmart or something, and that's sort of my idea of like an American. I, I don't think Europeans dress that way, so it makes sense.
1: Or if um, it's a little bit more modern, you have like the like the the sleek like Nike pants with like like and like basically the, the Nike look, basically.
0: Yeah. Now. <clears throat> How was the reaction of your parents or sorry not your parents, your family from like 2018 to now? You know, like the, the people who have seen your growth and development. Do you still get those oh Nihongo Jules? Or is it different now?
1: Um, they usually well, it went from like Nihungul Julze to like my my grandmother literally telling me, um like what's interesting is that I I had a conversation with her probably around a year ago or so that like like she was like she was like i want to start learning english too i want to get better i'm gonna watch i actually was actually doing something similar to refold where she, she really liked watching them um, like old like uh like old westerns like like cowboy oh, okay. stuff or whatever and um like
0: my grandparents do that too but they're you know american <laughs> but yeah
1: i guess it's an international thing no but um so and we, she was like i'm gonna am gonna try and uh, i'm gonna try and learn english so we can like work together or whatever and then like a couple of months later she was like i give up i am I'm, I'm leaving it to you to learn the japanese for me <laughs> and um, essentially it's really it's actually really cool now that like we can have conversations about without her referring to the fact that like i'm american well of course a lot of the conver- our conversation topics have to do with the fact that i'm american cuz you know i go to a, an american college uh, the covid situation in america is very different from the covid situation in japan those convers those differences will always come up, but she, she she would comment on my Japanese less. She would always say, "You're oh, you're so good," but the comments would come up a bit less.
0: And I think that's the trend, right? The better you are, the less overt praise you get.
1: Mm.
0: Now, uh, people make fun of us for this, actually mentioning your grandma. Mm we've put out some things about like the gold list method. And I've tried to get Ben to make a video about the Lightner box system, which is like a spaced repetition system for paper flashcards. Hmm. And I'm assuming that usually grandparents are not the best at tech, but we've had some coaching clients who are in their sixties and seventies. And let's face it. Things like Anki language reactor can be a bit much. So definitely if she wants to get back on it, um, I, I would be happy to help you help get her started on immersion learning in a low-tech way.
1: Yeah. I mean, that would definitely be better since I, I'm not even sure if she has an internet connection. So yeah, yeah I mean, you'd have to like, should be starting from like that low of a tech level. So that probably would, would probably be the most That's totally connection.
0: fine. I think it's normal enough. That's one thing that I, I really want Prefold to be more accessible to is for older people. Because like, yeah. just think about navigating Anki settings and all the this, the cool tools we do. Um, there's another heritage speaker um, who put together this really cool thing about like Whisper and generating hmm. subtitles. And, you know, let's face it, even normal people who are in their 20s are probably not going to be able to set up Whisper and use, you know, C++ or Python. So.
1: Hmm. And, and even to speak to that, like I actually used to, like, like I'd write my own scripts where um, I'm also part of, like, my learning history. I actually tried to uh, use them um, remembering the kanji or more, more commonly referred to as RTK like when I first got started and I actually would like write my own tools to like like my own uh, web scraper to like grab the kanji like the radicals and the stories off of like Kanzi kohi kanji kohi which, which is a website that used to exist I forgot if it still exists or not but at the time I'd use it to like you know to glean the, the information onto Anki cards and like I'd format my Anki cards in a really like pretty way and like I was into all that but then I couldn't keep up with any of that so I'd I'd always be in and out of like I'd, do, I'd be doing Anki really intensively, leave it for a month, and do it intensively, leave it for three months. And then eventually got to the point where it's like, I know this is a really useful tool that helps a lot of people, but I cannot keep up with this. So I just went the route of, I look up words that come up and, I, and immerse. That's basically what I ended up doing.
0: So with your immersion, what's your end goal with, with Japanese and your language ability?
1: As I've progressed, I've it's become harder to answer that question. Since um, uh, when I first started, I had a pretty solid thing of I want to be able to speak to my relatives at the very least. I was like the bare minimum, and then I got to that goal, and it's and now it's like oh, I can kind of do this, though it's still kind of clunky. So I want to be able to do this smoothly, and I also do not want to sound American because a, a, a big part of my journey was that I did not. I, I hated the fact that I sounded American initially. Well, I mean, it's obvious like everybody's going to have some kind of accent when they started, but for some reason, like I just hated that fact. And so then I did like so like part of my goal also was I want to sound a hundred percent Japanese. Like even if I even if I don't sound eloquent, I want to at least sound like a dumb Japanese person. So and now does that uh, mean
0: you think sounding native like is very important?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, it was it was uh, personally it was, it was to me very important. And then. So, I mean, what I, are
0: you I, doing to do that? Are you just listening a whole bunch, or are you also doing like anything like shadowing or chorusing?
1: Uh, a large portion of my journey was listening. I, I, for a long, it, I kind of actually regret this. It took me a very long time to actually seriously get into reading, and that kind of stunted my vocabulary growth. But yeah, you know, I did a, a lot of listening with YouTube and talking to people in places like Discord or HelloTalk. So a lot of it was audio based, but also I did specific work on my pronunciation. Uh, specifically as many Japanese uh, learners would know pitch accent uh, i would there's a specific way called corrected onlook or corrected reading where you you take a text you read it out loud and if, if a native isn't there immediately you record it and then you send it off for them for them to correct it or if a native is right there you read it and the second you make a mistake they 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 tell you that is wrong pronounce it this way and then you keep going and then you keep pronouncing until you get it right and then you Try to read it smoothly. So I, I did that. I did that. Right, we've talked
0: about the corrected reading method before on the mm-hmm. podcast, early, early on. Mm-hmm. I think Darius is a big mm-hmm. fan of it.
1: That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am definitely a big. Also, I'm very, very big proponent of it. Yes. I think yeah, I don't so, think people do it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you've put a lot of work into your pronunciation, especially mm-hmm. the pitch accent but you feel like your vocab is stunted from not reading. Why did you delay reading?
1: Uh, partially, well, a couple of reasons. Partially, I kind of bought into the I, whole Matt's idea of if you read, it's going to stunt your pronunciation. Yeah, which I'm realizing that even if I didn't read, I would have had bad pronunciation if I didn't work on it. So I think mean, that wasn't exactly the the best idea to follow. But also, you know, reading is significantly harder than, than listening. I can watch, a, I can put on a YouTube video folk and also it helps that you know there's like there's sound there's like you know things it's like a little bit more engaging and it's also a lot easier to understand given there's more avenues of except getting information so it was also just that reading was harder in the first place and also i would i I didn't exactly it took me a while to realize that oh reading could be a lot easier if i read easier things because i would i initially tried to read like really like at least at that time really difficult stuff like um Ningen like, Kaku which is like a famous literary uh, piece in, in Japanese literature uh, along with them um, okay I think I tried to read it
0: you need to jump in with web novels and light novels and I think that holds <laughs> true across languages um, mm. they tend to be easier you know when I mm. pull up Wattpad or or something in 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 Spanish it's always heaps easier than published books mm. and I imagine that shosetsu.com I think probably has easier web novels than <laughs> than reading classic literature
1: yeah <laughs> that's probably been you, an easier way of getting into it yeah
0: it's interesting that you do that because i've actually seen uh, another heritage speaker uh his name is sean he's a heritage speaker of vietnamese mm. he would always jump into the most boring stuff i would see him in the early days of refold immersing and he would be immersing in um like stuff about the ice age in vietnamese and i'm like what <laughs> why <laughs> Why? Like, I, I get it. that I say just cool, but it was difficult for him, mm. right? Especially as a heritage speaker, he's a little bit more along the lines of uh, someone who kind of spoke it mm. than, the ba- you know, your baseline, which is closer to zero. So he was a little bit more, like, advanced. But still, you know, as a heritage speaker, I, I suspect that if you do have vocab, it's going to be a lot of vocab related to the house, the home. Perfect for slice of life content, right? <laughs> yeah, Exactly now have you taken any proficiency tests for japanese do you have any plans
1: uh proficiency i have not taken any proficiency cl- uh, tests but i did um just to fulfill a language requirement for college i did i mean i haven't i haven't taken the class yet but i was able to skip out of four years so or back oh. like uh there's an interesting class on a i think it's called a translation seminar that like i really wanted to take because it just sounds interesting but technically i don't think i actually need to take it for the credit since they're like you're you're good you don't have to worry about this
0: yeah and then you do have the para para role on oh, yeah, the, head up, head up. Ja- yeah. the server does that mean that you talked with matt
1: uh i just missed that there there have been multiple people who've um who've um done the interview i'm pretty sure it's darius who does it now but um okay so first it was matt and then and then next thing there was a um a japanese uh, there was a japanese person who did it and then um And then that was the person who I did it with personally, and like we were we were friends on Discord, so like it was more of a casual chat. And then we, I think, we sent our conversation off to Matt, and then we got feedback, and he was like, "Yo, yeah, good. You can have the chat now." And that's how basically how that went. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Now, um, speaking of Japanese people, um, I do think that Yudai Sensei Mm. is helping translate the guide into Japanese, which will be exciting. Maybe you can share it with your family.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Actually, so, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I oh, know. I was just about to say that. I've actually also talked to Udai a bunch, and he's also helped me with my Japanese pronunciation in terms of correction, and also to, uh, also given me good good pointers of hey, that's that's a little bit off. You might want to work on that type things.
0: Yeah. What What do you struggle with now when it comes to Japanese? Just in general, it doesn't have to be pronunciation.
1: In general, uh, I though I have recently been working on my reading it's still far 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 behind my English which I want to at least even if I can never get it up to my English ability of reading I want to at least get it to an educated high school or at least <laughs> I want to get it up to that level eventually and um, uh, definitely another thing that I want to get better is just speaking more eloquently i it's not exactly something i'm great at in english either but I, sometimes like i feel that like my japanese depending on the time sometimes it flows really nicely and sometimes i just like sound like i'm stopping at every well not quite at every word but it doesn't exactly sound nice and so it would just be nice just to be able to at least sound more intelligent if i wanted to
0: okay so right now you want you want to sound more eloquent you don't want to sound like a caveman yeah. And you do
1: uh, better at, as, at English at well. So I mean I guess.
0: you know, <laughs> some matter. people are just awkward in any language. Uh, mm-hmm. Not saying you're awkward because you're not. actually, I think you're doing quite fine. but <laughs> um, some people, they just have this prosody and this way of thinking where you can tell when they have a thought block and they they don't do very well when it comes to sounding fluid or mm. you know fluent in a language, even if it's their native language. So I understand. Speaking is
1: a skill. It is indeed, and I. Th- and I've noticed that like you, you seem very fluent, given that you've done this podcast for quite a while now. Like you seem to be yes you seem to know what you're doing. I
0: also cheat. I also pre-prep a lot of questions for the guests. As you know, I sent you some. Yeah, <laughs> that way I, uh, that way I don't run out of things to talk about. Um, so I also sort of cheat. I take you know 10, 15 minutes before the podcast to jot things down and say, okay, what what's a good question for this uh, guest? Give them the best stuff. So, and I've also been on camera. I used to used to teach remotely, and uh, I'm used to being on camera and stuff. I see. Now, you didn't attend any language programs as a child, but if you were to have a child, how would you raise them to be bilingual? What would you do?
1: Uh... I mean, of course, it depends on who the who the the, the other parent is. Because if they have a if they have a language that's not English, I also want to make sure that they learn it too, because I think it's a wonderful gift of being able to give your language to a child. Um, in terms of Japanese, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I would personally give if I would speak to them in Japanese because it is not my native language. But I might or or I honestly don't know. I actually never thought about this, but um uh. No, I mean, I would definitely try and get if if I can't if I can't speak to them directly, I would either expose them to a community of speakers. Like for example, like I might tell my dad, "Hey, you're the grandpa now. Only speak to my kid in Japanese, so if he actually picks up this language." Or I might um, I might send him to a Japanese school at, at, at least if we're talking about Japanese. Um, I might also you no, know, I think this is also a, definitely a probably helped me with my Japanese but my dad at a very young age got me into anime (laughs) he was like it wasn't like it wasn't like just pop culture it was actually he introduced the entire concept to me so I would definitely at least try to get my kid hooked on um, on Japanese content or whatever content and I'm curious
0: I imagine the anime popular among Japanese dads is different than the anime that's popular among uh, teenage weebs so what (laughs) were some of the what were some of the anime your dad liked and showed to you as a kid
1: we watched a lot of naruto like we we, like we we actually ended up watching all of the original all of naruto spuden which is which is a couple how about any of the
0: classics like astro boy
1: he i think we watched the movies when i was young i don't have clear memories but we but like we actually have the dvds i think still
0: okay so what sort of anime does your dad like
1: um at least i've at least the animes that we watch together, since that's a thing we do, we, we like watch anime together. We watch mostly shonen, I'd say.
0: Okay, now that's interesting because shonen gets a bad rep uh, among a lot of uh, a lot of weebs, people who like anime, um, for being like sort of like you know fight heavy and childish characters because it's it's aimed <laughs> at young boys. So it's interesting to me that your dad uh, likes shonen, despite his <laughs> presumably advanced age.
1: Yes. I mean, it also definitely helps that like we we enjoy it, we enjoy watching it together and something we've done for a while. So it's like it's, it's it's a nice habit that we have together. I'd say.
0: Is he into any of the other stuff like um like you know, common writer like you know the sort of
1: he, um, costumed
0: it, warrior type thing?
1: Interestingly enough, um, so that actually just re- like revived it, like a pretty primordial memory. But um, like we I, I he actually showed that to me. And, like I used to watch it like when I was like probably like six five years old like we used to watch it together on like this really old pc we had so we we, he definitely watched that kind of stuff too so at least we watched it together
0: very cool and to take it back to the question about raising a child i've heard of something called opal one parent one language which is where one parent speaks um so if your parents were to have done it your mom would have spoken english and your dad would have spoken japanese and i think that could be really cool you know i I expect there to be a a generation of bilingual children coming from Refold. when you're older and settle down. Hopefully you will uh, also teach your kids their heritage languages, whether it's English and Japanese or something else. Mm. Now looking here, Mm. yeah, so have you ever avoided speaking Japanese? Have you ever felt there was an opportunity to speak and you avoided it for some reason either shame or embarrassment or you didn't want to be teased
1: Mm. i wouldn't say i actively avoided it but there were definitely there are times and places that where i would speak less like this is also one thing i want to get better at in general but it's very different with talking one-on-one with a japanese person which i'm perfectly fine with or like small groups but when it comes to big big group calls in japanese where where not only is what you what you're saying like in like not not being able to just say interesting stuff but also being able to say it quickly and on time and say it in a way that's interesting that's that's something that's even difficult for native speakers so that's definitely something that i still struggle with and during in in, in those instances i tend to speak a little bit less than when i speak to people one on one or in small groups so I guess there's okay. that, but in terms of I've always tried to like use Japanese because i re- I thought it was like it's a really cool thing and just to think that like I'm getting better at speaking a language that's not even my native that's super different from my native and it just I feel there's something very satisfying to know that your brain is flexible enough to jump between these two languages and actually be able to effectively communicate with them
0: okay now. I'm going to shift gears here and I'm going to talk a little bit less about language and more about identity. Hmm. So how do you identify culturally? Do you just identify as an American who happens to have Japanese roots or what's your, how do you
1: identify? Interesting. This has actually changed throughout the years. So uh, before I, before I studied Japanese, I actually identified more, Jap- more with Japanese culture than I do now because I, I think I had a, a, like, I was always, even since I was a kid, I was super into things like, you know, like, samurai ninja i just i thought like old japan was like the coolest thing ever and i was like so proud to to kind of think that i came from that culture and i mean i'm, I'm not that i don't think that's cool anymore but i realize now that since i've actually learned the language there's so many parts of me that you know since i grew quite literally grew up in the states that make me american so i've come to realize i'm i mean it's kind of obvious when i say it but i'm very i'm much more american than i am japanese however um I, Jap- parts of Japanese identity have definitely started to f- come in more recently because when you learn the language, there's like certain phrase, I, I'm sure this happens to any and all languages, but there are phrases that are very easy to use, but also reflect a cultural view. And, and as that's, that's entered my vocabulary and I've started using it more often, like, I feel like I've, it's like, not exactly created a new identity but it's i've discovered a new part of it i'm okay. actually, i'm pretty sure like rickle and of the polyglot said something along the lines of when we learn when we learn new languages we don't create new identities we discover more identities within ourselves and i definitely i definitely feel like i that's my, my personal experience
0: interesting so you kind of it's a mixed bag would you say that you feel more attached to Japan now as, an, as sort of an adult than you did as a child or, or less so, because you speak the language now, but you've also realized just how American you are. And I'll give an example. I'm from the South, and I don't feel Southern when I'm talking to other Southerners. But when I compare myself uh, to the Canadians and the West Coasters who work at Refold, I'm like, wow, I'm really polite. And <laughs> wow, I'm really soft-spoken. And All of that sort of comes to head, um, or you know, when I compare myself to other foreigners because I live abroad, um, things like that. I'm like, wow, I feel really southern outside of the South, but then when I'm in the South, you know, I don't drive a pickup truck, I I don't have dip, (laughs) you know, I don't. So it's sort of a weird feeling. So how does how does your sort of cultural identity, your feelings line up with that?
1: Hmm. I mean, I definitely feel that. For example, like. it definitely of course like i'm pretty sure this applies to everyone but it also depends on the people surrounding me so when i'm around like only americans i definitely i can definitely feel that like my japanese bits are stronger since they're quite for example like if i've been listening to japanese for a while, japanese phrases come up before english phrases and then i have to realize they will not understand this let me actually go the english for this so that definitely happens and um, and of course there's just like like there's just cultural tidbits there's you know there's like of course like meme there's like uh, there's the memes in japan is are very different than the memes in, the, in like english-speaking areas of the world so that's definitely one thing so i definitely feel like like i definitely feel more in the in-group of americans but there's some i sometimes feel like there's so much i want to show there's so much i want to talk about but they wouldn't under, but since they don't speak the language or they haven't been exposed to that they haven't they wouldn't be able to understand but then same thing happens when I'm with Japanese people, where, I mean, it's, hap- it's definitely a bit different because I didn't grow up in Japan, and there's a lot of cultural experiences growing up there that I just do not have, and I don't think I ever will be able to, re- to relate to. But, as I, but I, I definitely feel sometimes that like, like I feel a very I feel a Japanese part of, of me, but then as the conversation goes goes on, I definitely feel like I want to like. It's, when I want to like introduce what I'm interested in inter- like talk about my interests, talk about like my passions, some a part, a very, I can definitely feel a very American part of me since a lot of it is like highly either like embedded into American culture or, um, or has to do with like something that could only ever be a thing if it happened in English. So. Okay.
0: Yeah. It sounds a bit like, have you ever heard the term third culture kid?
1: I've, heard the term but i'm not super familiar with I think
0: it. it usually applies to people whose parents are both from one cultural background but i think it may, might be able to apply to you know people from mixed backgrounds as well i'm not really sure that's outside of the scope of my <laughs> my knowledge but um it sounds to me like you definitely identify with bits and bobs from both cultures or multiple cultures
1: hmm. I, that, that i actually i quite like that description identify with bits and bobs that, that i definitely feel that's my experience
0: So growing up, did your family have any unique traditions that were sort of different from the the Americans around you that your dad might have kept?
1: A couple of things, I guess, since I didn't realize this wasn't super normal until I started going to other people's houses when I was a kid. But, you know, of course, we take our shoes off. So the shoes? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've I've been in uh, like condominiums in Asia where they have signs up saying, do not leave your shoes in the hallway because people will trip on them. Mm. Because so many people have that embedded just all across Asia, from the Philippines to Indonesia to Japan to China. People are taking their shoes off. Yeah. And uh, I've actually seen signage just like, please bring your shoes inside. <laughs> you don't have to wear them inside. You can take them off, but put a shoe rack up. Because otherwise there's just heaps and heaps of them. Mm. So beyond the shoes, anything else, like uh, maybe food wise. So like I grew up with, um, you know, family from different parts of from So I'm from Kentucky, mm. but I've got family from the deep South. I've got family from Canada and the food is different. Mm. So like, you know, one thing, a lot of Louisiana cuisine uses a lot of rice. So I grew up eating a lot of like rice and beans uh, or like mixed rice dishes, um, spicy food. Mm. Whereas Kentucky food tends to be much more mild, tends to be potatoes and corn. Any other things like that that you grew up with?
1: Well, funnily enough, actually, um, uh, this is also another reason why I couldn't feel like I could 100% embody Japanese culture because I actually can't eat most Japanese food since I'm allergic to sesame. I mean, that also... allergic to sesame? Yes. <laughs> oh man. Which also makes it so that I can't actually eat most Asian foods or, or Middle Eastern foods. So that's definitely kind of threw a huge wrench in the, in the into the whole thing too. So like I wasn't able to. Recently, I've actually been able to like like you know at least like my dad is like we've started making more Japanese food at home. Like we I remember like we made like like onigiri today uh, together, and um, you know we ate it and it's like oh this feels really nice and like starting to eat more Japanese dishes like um like a oyakodon which is like it's like a egg and chicken dish. And slowly, we're introducing more and more foods. But the thing is, because I can't eat out, that involves us cooking, which I don't, I don't do too often. So, it, I, I feel like my exposure to Japanese food is quite limited. Okay.
0: And were there any like holidays maybe that your dad celebrated that were not celebrated by people around you?
1: Um, I. Well, of course, on, on New Year's we'd always call our relatives, but that's pretty that's I think that's pretty common across cultures. But um, what well, we did use, what well, we would do, co- actually, it kind of got messed up because of COVID. Uh, there would be a um, there there'd be a local uh, sakura Matsuri, which is essentially uh, well, back in it makes more sense in Japan because you like there'd be a season where the sakura trees would blossom and all the petals would come down and it would look really pretty works a little bit less in america but there's a, a couple of areas like if you go to like a botanical gardens like where they have all those trees and then it's it i think be dc early. also has some mm. well, i mean i could definitely see that but well what happened is that with, like, during during the sakura matsuri there'd actually be like huge japanese festivals that would take place in these like in these little areas and they and then we we'd back when they still would happen often uh we would we would go pretty much every year, and like we'd see like like traditional performance of like taiko and uh and like f- like traditional flute uh, tr- performances and uh what else was there uh, and of course they would also have like you know your your punk J rock whatever <laughs> it was basically a kind of like a collection of Japanese culture and we'd go every year.
0: Okay, so I've got a follow up question. We've talked about the things that you do relate to. <laughs> But what are the things that you don't relate to as part of your biculturalism from either like your mom's side or uh, your dad's side? Are there things that you just don't relate to?
1: Um, at least if, if, on the Japanese side, I definitely feel that um, there is, a, it's kind of well known that there is a culture of um, conformity. Mm-hmm. And one thing I don't, de- and, and, you know, like, just like there's entire phrases that, you know, like, or like, or like. That kind of thing, and the thing is, is that like, of course, like everybody does that to some extent, even Americans. It's it's not like this culture doesn't exist, but I don't feel like I could, per- I would personally thrive in an environment that would be that where that culture is that strong, where where you you constantly where you don't feel like you can be your authentic self because you have to constantly worry about fitting in with other people. Um, but I guess if we go to um to, to the American side, like one thing that I definitely. Like, I really like the the phrase the Japanese phrase um at least because it gives actual words to it like meiwaku kake, me kakeru which is means like cause trouble to cause nuisance to somebody else, and you notice a lot with a certain well not everyone of course but but it's far more common for I don't, for people to say you know litter for like, litter or not hold the door for somebody I mean depending where you live of course but
0: so you're from the northeast right yeah. So, I, I I feel like as a southerner we we hold doors and we we don't litter <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> uh I, I definitely can see it if you're from like um, different parts of the us for sure
1: mm, yeah and and, and some and also of course like if you're on public transit and people are just blasting their music without headphones I mean of course that's gonna be no I don't know anybody we, have, we don't that, have
0: public transit in the south sadly so uh, I see yeah
1: and of course I think not, it's yeah
0: Yeah, so definitely uh, different parts of the U.S. have their own culture, I think. Mm. And uh, maybe as a Northeasterner, that sort of colors your view uh, of of things. But it sounds to me like you're saying that uh, generally where you're from in the States, people don't have that mentality of I'm not going to cause a problem, even if it's a minor thing like holding their trash until they find a trash bin.
1: Yeah, I mean luckily most well most people what's a good way of saying this i mean most people know in like like not just like oh i'm done with the straw just throwing to throw into the street most people aren't like that but it's it's far more common than, than compared to other places like say like in the south or in japan so it's, definitely, it's something that you encounter far more often and it's just simply more that like uh i there's definitely ups and downsides to this where it's like this is I am a I am an individual being, therefore I'm going to live my best life, and I think that can be really good for a lot of people because it it helps free them. But also sometimes they take it too far, and they they realize they don't realize that you're not alone. You live in a society. You live in you fit, you live with people like all around you, and 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 your actions have consequences. So I of of I think it's like the correct thing is to strike a balance between being figuring out how to live like your authentic self without you know without necessarily like causing nuisance or causing harm to others. I think that I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a pretty universal thing in general, but yeah.
0: Yeah, we have these like sort of social contracts, I think. You know, what is it and is it acceptable? And in some places, even littering is not considered unacceptable. You know, it's mm-hmm. considered the norm. And I think we were that way in the States too. I've seen the old videos from like the 1950s of like trying to get people not to litter. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it's because it's sort of um, this is me talking about something I don't know much about, so I could be wrong. Mm. Natural stuff is okay to litter, you know. If if we didn't, our our caveman ancestors, if they threw a banana peel or something, it would turn, in, you know, it would go back to the environment. Mm. But like that doesn't happen with plastic or metal. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a learned behavior, and uh, I think it changes over time. And speaking of things changing over time, how has perception of bicultural people changed in your lifetime? So like growing up versus now, do you feel like there's much of a difference?
1: Um, I, I, I'd say so since, um, I mean, the thing is like, I have pretty vivid memories of both of actually even up to high school that when people see me, they, like, they, don't, they don't think, oh, this person looks mixed. They just see Asian. That's <laughs> Asian is the only word that comes across most people's heads when they see me. And then, of course, when I talk about it, then it's like, oh, you're Japanese. But then the thing is, they don't think half Japanese. They just think Japanese. So it's there isn't a lot of nuance. But I found a lot more recently. I found recently that that people. I mean, there's new words coming out, such as like Wei for example, which is a, which is a combination of the words white and Asian. Where so people are coming a little bit more aware of this, and and people are also becoming more aware of oh you're from this cult well you're ethnically you're this but you didn't grow up speaking therefore you can't speak this language so it, it there's a little bit more of an under growing understanding with it so i definitely think that's a definitely a good thing yeah,
0: yeah. there's sort of that old-timey sort of stereotype of, of of people with you know asian backgrounds being asked where they come from and you're like oh i come from washington they're like no where do you really come from <laughs> and it's sort of like um you see it a lot. Uh, it, I think there's a term for it. It's called like the perpetual foreigner
1: mm.
0: where people who are sort of um, of different ethnic backgrounds are often considered foreign even when they're not.
1: Yeah. And actually, for whatever reason,
0: that happens That happens a lot to people of Asian backgrounds Yeah, in the States. I don't know why.
1: I have a very specific story about it actually. So at one time, I, I, I very specifically remember this in the ninth grade. So, so somebody asked, like I think I forgot, like basically what kind of Asian I said, oh, just Japanese, and he, this person quite literally said to me, "You're Japanese? I thought you were Asian." That is a, that is a direct quote. So, <laughs> I mean, it proves to show how good American education is sometimes, but you know.
0: Yeah, sometimes uh, people miss out in geography.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, going forward in the future, do you have any thoughts about how society's going to keep changing with the idea of like accepting multiculturalism, accepting bicultural people and things like that? Do you think it's going to continue to change? What are your thoughts if you were doing the forecast?
1: Uh, well, in America, I'm pretty sure it's it's that's kind of already a norm. So I don't think there's probably going to be much change there. But in Japan, it depends I mean, on where you're from. Well, for, oh yeah, fair enough. I mean, just for context, yeah. If you go to
0: if yeah. if you go to Kentucky or um, you know, like Missouri or something, I imagine it's going to be quite different than in New York.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I I mean that uh, that also greatly colors my judgment of things since New York is the norm for me.
0: Uh, what do you say when you're waiting, and there's a line? Uh, do you say in line or online?
1: Uh, go online. Go online. I say online.
0: You say online. You're waiting online. Yeah, you're a mm-hmm. New Yorker
1: yeah <laughs> i mean the thing is like if i say i'm waiting in line that it i understand that but that just that feels that feels weird to say yeah
0: it, you know my old boss is a new yorker and he would always say and it, it drove me crazy because for the rest of the country we say in line
1: oh wow <laughs> i mean if he said I'm get in, in line. if he said well i mean i, I also realized that like, get online and get in line are actually mean two different things to me like if you say get in line it's like you're doing something that's socially unacceptable to stop that correct your behavior but if you say get on or no that's for get in line but if you say get online that's like but you're you're gonna go back it's like
0: yeah all right but yeah i think that being a new yorker has probably colored your your experiences which is totally fine because Mm -hmm. being from you know the middle of nowhere has definitely colored mine as well and um i think even in the middle of nowhere in the south globalism and multiculturalism is becoming harder and harder to avoid Mm -hmm. even for the staunchest traditionalists you know people yeah. who uh their great 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 grandpappy was from the same holler you know in yeah. kentucky <laughs> in in the mountains mm. uh i think even uh even hillbillies watch anime these days
1: yeah so and, and definitely something similar is happening in japan i mean to a slower extent so like compared to america but i mean uh, i mean the the emergence of terms like like half or mikusu like that are used in japan is definitely is also Gotten way up along with words like which is which is essentially describing Japanese people who are born in Japan and lived in foreign countries and then came back to Japan. So okay. I think definitely there's like and given the and given the issue of you know there's not that many young people, they're they're going to have to fill that labor shortage somehow. And and they're probably they've not been doing that. that.
0: I think I think uh, they've been having a lot of Vietnamese people come over.
1: Mm. So whether they like it or whether they like it or not, they're going to have to figure out how to fill that labor shortage somehow. And the and probably the best or not the best, but the the current best solution that most people thought of is import more people, import foreigners and have them do the things. And if that's going to be the future of Japan, people are going to have to get used to foreigners whether they like it or not. So,
0: Mm. yeah, Uh, I've heard some horror stories out of japanese hospitals Mm. so in the states even in the middle of nowhere they have tele translation services so you can be um a spanish speaker in the middle of nowhere in idaho and if you go to the hospital they'll have a way of of getting translation japan despite being a very advanced country does not have that or Uh. doesn't have it as as a rule and uh, I taught for an Aikaiwa, and one time we were discussing how something like deaths were like 60 or 70% higher for foreigners in Japanese hospitals.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I could definitely imagine that, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's sort of a, a globalism is happening, multiculturalism is happening, uh, and there are downsides, definitely, I think, to being totally foreign, especially if you don't speak the language. mm mm-hmm. Now, I think that this was a great uh a great little interview. Before we go, mm-hmm. Isaac, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about?
1: Uh I I think we've covered our bases pretty well.
0: All right. So, the moral of the story, do you have a moral for us?
1: Uh uh I think when it comes to learning i I think learning language of course learn languages that's a very good thing and it helps you learn uh, like new culture learn about new cultures but also don't go don't go too strong in any one direction find find what works for you personally you know you know what's it called there are always going to be benefits and downsides to everything so figure out that figure out that balance that works for you so i'd say that's pretty important
0: all right and isaac thank you for coming on and guys i'll see you next week I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Refold Podcast. If you're watching the live premiere, you're in luck. Right as it ends, we have an after party over on the Refold Central Discord server. Come join us by using refold.link forward slash join to chat about the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought about the video by liking and leaving a comment below. Do you have suggestions for upcoming visitors or requests for particular topics? Please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig hashtag 5413 or via email at clayton at refold.la. Thank you all for watching and or listening, and I'll see you next week.